0: This episode contains material that might be triggering for some. If you need to stop the podcast at any time to take care of yourself, please do so.
1: If you need support, you can call the 24-7 National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. And, and this, this is DBT
0: and me. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Hi. <laughs> i <I'm> sorry,
1: <laughs> I was just facing out for a second. <laughs> I just got done coughing, and then we just started recording. And
0: <laughs> she was like, huh? Oh, me. <laughs> oh, yeah, me. I'm here too. <laughs> Anywho, so today what we're doing is actually another um, listener suggested topic. We're going to talk about DBT and grief. Uh, As part of this, both Michelle and I are planning on sharing about some of our personal experiences with grief before we dive into the actual nitty gritty skills that we we each think are most applicable to grief scenarios. Before we delve into that, though, we did want to put out an acknowledgement that Michelle and I have actually been decently... Lucky so far in our life in the grief department, uh, we haven't had a lot of personal deaths. You know, deaths in people, uh, in people, of people. That are thinking, I was gonna think I, my brain was thinking in our family. Oh, but, okay, yeah. <laughs> then it changed course, but didn't fix that word. Uh, right, so we just haven't lost a lot of people to mm-hmm. to death. Um, so. Uh, We are going to talk about our personal experiences, but those might look a little bit different than they might for you if you're someone who has lost a lot of family members or close friends or mentors or people like that that have been particularly important to your life. So we just wanted to put it out there that we know that this isn't necessarily a typical set of experiences. Both of us have been pretty lucky in this regard. Uh, But hopefully there's still something in our experiences that's relatable and also that the skills are helpful. So. Yeah, Yeah,
1: Definitely. And I mean, if I can't remember when it was, I think it was when we were troubleshooting distress tolerance skills that we briefly mentioned that, you know, one thing that can make distress tolerance difficult is experiencing grief. Mm -hmm. And that that is where the distress tolerance skills can really be front and center in terms of helping you through that, especially that initial period of time after a loss when you're coming to terms with it. And also, I think you're going to see today, I was looking at our notes as Kay was talking, we're going to talk about a lot more than just stress tolerance. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a lot of other things that can be helpful with grief, too. Yeah. So, yeah. so
0: I think, I, now I'm looking. I can never remember where everything goes. All, are all of mine? I mean, no.
1: Mine. Opposite okay. action. <laughs> Sorry. Now we're giving you guys a sneak preview. You, you have an emotion regulation skill. Right. Oh. And you uh, talk no, about if, mindfulness, because that's your favorite. If
0: Michelle's, uh, if Michelle's superpower is being able to make everything into a DBT skill, my opposite of a superpower? I don't know. I have the hardest time keeping track between emotion regulation and distress tolerance, which skills are in which module. There you go. I I've struggle with it. that, too. I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm always like, this one, this one's emotion regulation. And Michelle's always like, no, it's not, Kate. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's distress tolerance. like Damn it. Anyway, so that,
0: it happens. have that, 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 <laughs> been this many years into teaching it. I still get those confused. Whatever. It's a lot of skills <laughs> in our heads. It's a lot of skills. Yeah. All right. All right. What about you, Michelle? Tell me all about, tell us all about
1: you. Yeah, you sure. So I ha- I don't know. I haven't thought about too much of what I want to say. Again, Kate and I make notes before every episode, and we both jotted down some brief Things about our own experiences that we want to make sure we share um but yeah I mean I guess to start like Kate said she and I both have been fortunate in that we haven't lost uh too many people that we've been close to in our lives um my great-grandmother passed away when I was 11 or 12 I think um she lived to be like 93 damn Um, yeah yeah she lived a she lived a good long life and I and I was very close to her um, and that was something though that in my family, I don't know, we we of course had a funeral at the time, though I don't really have a lot of memories of what the funeral was like. but you know, I was pretty young, and ever since that time we haven't really done anything to commemorate or acknowledge mm-hmm. her passing very much. You know, we haven't gone to her graveside. We, you know, it, it, she doesn't come up very much in conversations. And I don't think that's out of a lack of um, missing her or because there there were no really strained relationships at the time that she passed or anything like that. I think my family just doesn't do a lot with grief. Um, I think it's just kind of like that person dies, you have the funeral, and then... The end. <laughs> and that's so much not what grief is.
0: Well, and also I was just thinking, sorry to interrupt your personal that's experience okay. a second, but I, I, it made me think of the differences in grief processing in different cultures. 100%. And, you know, culture can mean a lot of different things. And I think that, I don't know, especially for me, I, I'm sure this has come up. I was raised with no you know, faith or religion or anything like that. Um which do tend to give some sort of form and structure to an extent to grief processing. Um, and so, I don't know, um, atheistic Americans, what the fuck do we do or have like, there's no, yeah. there's no teaching, right? There's no, there's no expectations. There's no real norms. There's no community involvement in set inherently, right? There's this weird sort of, and by the way, this is not me dissing on atheists. I have identified as an atheist for the vast majority of my life, but it's, uh, or agnostic a sort of wiffle waffle. But right, there's not a lot. There's not like a blueprint. Mm-hmm. There's not like, a, lot, yeah. a lot of scaffolding around us for grief. And I think of other religious communities or other global cultures who have such a process, right? Mm-hmm. Grief is really seen and honored and held and and deeply experienced. And I think that gives a lot of space for it. That American culture, on average, just doesn't. Like, ah, oh, so sad. I'm sorry. Get back to life. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. Yep. Yep. <laughs> So, yeah, it's anyways, very so, true.
0: That's what made me think of that. Like, your family, I don't think, is terribly abnormal in this regard,
1: yeah. you know, yeah. for our culture. I don't think so either. Yeah. yeah. And especially because my family, um, really, everyone in my family identifies as Christian, you know, different denominations of Christianity. And there can also really be this overarching message in Christianity that when somebody dies, they are going to heaven. Um, And that this is, you know, because they're going to be in, you know, quote unquote, a better place that um, along with that, I think, can sometimes come the expectation of why be sad for Uh, too long? Yeah. Um, Especially if the person who died themselves really held that belief of like, I'm okay. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go, you know, meet my maker. People say, or, you know, go be with Jesus, or there's all these different ways that it can be put. And that while that brings some people a great deal of comfort when they are dying, um, then there's us that are left to go on with our lives. And some people find consolation in that sentiment of, you know, okay, they're in a better place. That helps me grieve. For other people, it's like that doesn't cut it, <laughs> you could yeah. say. Um, and, it, and, it's, and it can, in some ways, I think, short-circuit the grieving process when we're told that kind of messaging. Of like, because they're in a better place, it's okay. You know, there isn't anything to be really sad about here. You know, they're, uh, they're not suffering anymore. We hear mm-hmm. that just a lot, generally speaking. And so then it can bring up feelings if you're struggling with grief around like, well, am I not supposed to be struggling with it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Because they're in heaven or because they're not in physical pain anymore, but I'm still struggling with it. So, yeah, I can really go a lot of different ways. I'm glad you mentioned that because that is an important thing to acknowledge is that grief looks so different um, all around the world and looks so different depending on what we were raised um, in Like our grief families.
0: practices. Like I think mm-hmm. a lot of the
1: internal experiences – Yes. baseline similar
0: but then like the the trappings of it and how we practice grief weird way yes. weird sentence I don't know I thought I'd ever say
1: but the practice of grief is so uh-huh. wildly different yeah very different yeah so yeah that's that's really the only experience that I have had with someone that I was close to dying um I remember going to funerals when I was quite young for people in the church that my mother grew up in she was um, very close to many people in the childhood church that she went to. They were like, you know, moms and dads to her. She was very close to them. I remember going to some of their funerals, but I didn't know these people and I was really young. <laughs> I mean, like five, six. Um, I have vague memories of one of the funerals, but you know, that, that didn't, as bad as it house. that did not mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my grandfathers passed away. Um, I was actually reading back some of my old journals. He passed away in 2008, so that was quite a while ago now, but I only met him once or twice in my life, so yeah. not not closeness there. I mean, I just haven't had anybody who I was really close to die. Um, and I think Kate's going to talk a, a little bit about this, so I won't go too in-depth with this. The closest experience I could say that I've had is um, – being with many pets over the years when we have euthanized our cats. Um, Most recently, some of you may have seen in the Facebook group, um, I had to put down my cat Tabitha. Mm -hmm. Um, I mentioned her, I think, in the – what episode was it? Fast, I think we talked about pets. I don't know why I'm recalling that randomly off the top of my head. Um, And then it was about a week or two later that, um, you know, she got diagnosed with diabetes and – And she also, what else was she diagnosed with? Oh, yeah, her thyroid had gotten worse. And she just had a bunch of health issues come on really, really suddenly.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, so I put her down. And every time we've done that, I've chosen to be in the room. When we we put a cat down, my brother, you know, we first put our cat down when I was like 12. And he did not want to be in the room. Um, And he's never been in the room when we've done that. But that's the closest that I've had to, like, a living being (laughs) that I'm close to being. Um, So as Kate said at the beginning, like, there's a lot here personally that is really important for us to acknowledge um, that we haven't experienced. And so we're not going to speak to things that (laughs) we have not personally experienced. Um, And I think it just goes to say, though, that when it comes to grief and losing a person that you are close to in your life, I mean, it's incredibly challenging. I, again, I'm fortunate that I haven't experienced that yet. And yet at some point, those losses will likely come in my life. Um, as they do for most, if not all of us, at some point, we lose someone that we are close to. Um, and that's going to be a difficult road to walk when it comes. Um, but going back to, I guess, my notes and the <laughs> losses that I made a note of that I, I want to speak briefly about, um, I'm not going to go too, too in depth um, with, with each of these, but I'll just share a little bit about what, what they each were and kind of my processing around it. Um, so the first one, which I talked about, this is why I'm not going to go too into it. I talked about a lot on the radical acceptance episode was when I lost dance and, um, I had so if you want to know the story listen to that episode if you haven't already <laughs> but I was a dancer from the time I was four years old until I was 17 that was a huge part of my life um, and that was all that I wanted to do that was my biggest passion my biggest joy and I lost it when I had to have a hip surgery and um I hear, I've had clients talk about this too. This is, I don't want to say like a fairly universal form of loss, but it's like the loss of a passion. I had Mm. one client who told me this was years ago, but I still vaguely remember. She loved to sing, loved to sing, loved to perform. And then, um, you know, she's just started losing her, her vocal ability. I can't remember what happened exactly, but basically she wasn't able to sing. The way that she was once used to. Um, And this happens a lot, you know, similar to me losing dance with people who are really passionate about a sport. And then they have a devastating injury, you know, like right before the Olympics or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, That when you're really passionate about something and you lose it, um, there can really be this now what question that comes along this listlessness this what who am I without this thing and what do I do now and those are so many questions that come with grief of all sorts um, who am I without this person what do I do now without this thing in my life that has taken up so much time or brought me so much joy how do I keep moving forward Um, so that's one, one loss that I've experienced. Um, another loss that I have experienced, um, is I was in a relationship for eight years. Um, and I mentioned this just very briefly. Again, I won't get too into details here. I mentioned it very briefly in the episode that I recorded with Luke, that the person I was in a relationship with was struggling with addiction, um, and, you know, that relation, you know, when we're in romantic relationships and they end and we go through a breakup and we go through that ending, uh, people say this a lot, that it, that it feels like a death. Um, and some people have even said, though, again, because I haven't experienced the loss of someone close to me, I can't compare and contrast this, but I've heard from some people too that they find the loss of a relationship um, harder in some ways than a death because that person is still alive. Mm. They're still moving through this world, doing what, doing their thing. And you just can't, you just don't have a connection there anymore. And that that's really difficult too, to experience the loss of a relationship or the, you know, the loss of a close friendship. Um, that's mm-hmm. brought on grief for me. I can think of two close friendships off the top of my head that brought on a lot of grief for me. Um, so, Grief can take that form um, when we lose someone who is still living, but they're just not in our lives anymore. Um, and then most recently, a loss that I experienced earlier this year is I had a miscarriage in May. Um, and for those of you who don't know much about pregnancy loss, um, the most common statistic I've seen out there about it is that one in four women have experienced uh, pregnancy loss. And it's also, I think, really important to acknowledge that that's not just women experiencing pregnancy loss, that is their partners experiencing pregnancy loss along with them. So if you think about those statistics, that's that, that would be pretty staggering numbers of how many people have experienced pregnancy loss. And um, it's still, I mean, that's a pretty recent loss. And that's still something that I am actively grieving, actively processing um, what it means to have been pregnant and to have lost that baby that I did not yet meet, but already felt so close to, even though I experienced pregnancy loss at eight weeks. Um, And, I don't, I don't know where else, to, <laughs> I don't know what else to say here, um, yeah. except that it's, it's one of those things where it goes to show that sometimes a loss is not so much about the, the nuts and bolts, I guess you could say. It's not so much about when you lose someone, about well, I, and it, and it is this, you know, it can be, I miss going to this place with them. I miss doing this thing we always did together. I, I miss these memories or whatever. And also a lot of times that loss is missing the relationship. Sorry.
0: <laughs> I'm going to be annoying and tell you you don't have to apologize for
1: crying. Thank you so much. (laughs) Where are my fast skills? You're right. Um, But when you are pregnant, you start forming a relationship with that baby that is growing inside of you. Or again, for the partners out there, that baby that is growing inside of your partner, you start forming a relationship sometimes very, very early from the minute that test says positive, there's a relationship that starts to build. So even if there isn't anything tangible that you're missing when that loss occurs, it's missing that relationship. It's missing that bond and that connection that you were forming with that baby. Um, and I, I do think that that can carry over into when we lose people who were are living as well, because it's that loss of a relationship. I think that's why so many people struggle with the loss of their parents, especially when they've lost both parents. It's losing that parental relationship that you've had your entire life. You know, mm-hmm. we take for granted that we have a mom or we have a dad, and then you lose that relationship. And then that's the thing that can really bring on the grief. Um, So, yeah, it's losing that relationship. And what I will say, too, about when um, the miscarriage happened for me is that I was very fortunate in that, um, I mean, every woman's body processes pregnancy loss differently. Um, And my miscarriage experience compared to some that I have read or heard about, um, physically was not terribly difficult. Um, and also, um, the grief, which as I've acknowledged already, I don't have much experience with grief. The grief hit me like a ton of bricks that day and the next day. One of the criteria to receive a diagnosis of depression, which not everybody checks this box, you could say, but it's one of the boxes that can be checked when you're experiencing depression. Um, It's this technical term called psychomotor retardation. And basically all that that means is that you are literally moving slower. You are literally like moving through mud. (laughs) And I experienced that so intensely Um, And it was all emotional. Again, physically, my body was okay. Um, But emotionally, I, I literally like two hours of my day went by and I think I unloaded the dishwasher. Like, you're just, time is moving differently and it's like you're in a fog and you are literally moving slower. I remember literally brushing my teeth slower, literally getting dressed slower. And then when I lost Tabitha, my cat, just a couple months ago in September, I literally had that for a day too—the exact same experience, um, all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, so unfortunately, this year I've gotten to know a little bit what grief looks like for me personally. That is one of the ways that it looks. Um, and so, I mean, I'll be talking a little bit when we get to that point after Kate shares about like what what has been helpful for me. Um, But I guess kind of the the main things that I hope you all as listeners can maybe take away from what I'm sharing um, is that, you know, when grief happens, regardless of what you are grieving or what has happened in your life, that grief leaves questions about who we are and just what we do next in our lives. (laughs) Um, Grief leaves these questions about, um, you know, what it means to lose relationships. Again, whether it's a relationship with somebody who was living and died, somebody who is still living where it was a romantic or a friendship loss, and then also maybe a relationship with someone who was not yet born. We can have relationships across that spectrum. And, um, that it's when we lose the relationship that that can really leave a mark and be quite difficult. And that also in, I mean, whatever way you grieve is 100% okay. Um, you know, I was, um, I went, I wouldn't say alarmed. Uh, at the grief that hit me after the miscarriage, I was aware that I would feel sad and all of that. But again, that like slow motion movement, <laughs> I'd never experienced it before. Um, and it was something that I really had to lighten up on myself for <laughs> a, a couple weeks for sure after the miscarriage. It got a little better every day, but I just had to really be patient with myself. I had to really just be like, yeah, I'm not going to function. You know, I'm watching TV. I can't concentrate on that. Like, you know, whatever it is, it's just to really go slow with yourself, um, whatever it is that you're grieving, um, to just give yourself time to really process or to not process Mm -hmm. if you're not there yet. Um, Because grief can show up and manifest so physically in our bodies regardless of what the loss is um, that it is really important that we be kind to ourselves during that. So yeah. Okay. That's me. Thanks Kate. I'm ready to, to stop talking and to listen for a little (laughs) bit to hear your experiences. Well, I mean, something that struck me
0: just to sort of, just relating to the stuff that you said a little bit when you're talking so much about relationships is I think that a lot of what happens in some of those forms of grief is the loss of a future. Yes a
1: hundred percent absolutely
0: and so right like you if you've been in a long-term romantic relationship you have probably have an image of what your life was going to look like with that person um especially if you had if you know if you're pregnant you've formed uh, an idea of what life with a child is going to look like right like there's this idea of a future that has been Mm -hmm. laid out in some fashion and so it's not just a loss in the present moment, but it's like a loss that stretches into the future, right? Like it steals, it steals a life back. It steals a future. And that, that I think is for me, especially with like, as you talked about like relationships, I think the loss of the future has been one of the hardest aspects of it for me. Um, so as Michelle was talking, actually, I made a couple of other notes, um, I feel like <laughs> maybe it's because we're talking
1: about grief, but I, I feel
0: so much more discombobulated and I'm yeah, like sure where of to
1: start. <laughs> to
0: talk about. Like, yeah. Um, so let's see how this sort of go, and it probably will make no sense. And bear with me. The um, I was thinking about grandparents, and I don't know. You were talking about sort of that loss of role, Michelle, like with parents that you know you take it take uh, not take advantage, uh, oh, take for granted that you're going to have that role in your life. And it was really interesting because my dad's father was my last grandparent to die. I don't have any grandparents alive anymore. And I was never close to the man. I'm pretty sure I saw him fewer than 10 times in the whole of my life. Um, but I felt a weird amount of grief, not about his death, but about having no grandparents. Like, I realized, I felt like I had just shifted up a generation. (laughs) Like, I'm now second from the top instead of third from the top, you know, whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. in the generational story that is my family, right? My siblings had already had kids by then. Um, And so, I'm like, oh, God, I'm my parents now. And my parents are the grandparents. Like, I Because it's just this whole generation is gone from my family, all of my grandparents. I was much closer individually with my mom's mom and dad, my maternal grandparents, and their losses were hard, not horrible, though, for me, because I wasn't wasn't that close. Uh, But I didn't, I don't know, no offense to my ancestors, uh, but I didn't, I was not, I was zero percent close with my dad's parents. (laughs) they're, They're passing as human beings, men. Very close to nothing um, to me. But having no grandparents was surprisingly impactful um, for me, which I just thought was interesting and was something I was thinking about as you were talking about. Um, gosh.
1: <laughs>
0: Michelle, this is a depressing episode.
1: <laughs> I know. That was one of the things when I saw that we had a listener suggest this. I had two thoughts at once. <laughs> <laughs> My first thought was well I don't know if what Kate's experiences with I some of your experiences with grief we've talked about but I was like I don't know what Kate's experiences with grief are maybe Kate had a lot of losses that I'm unaware of so maybe Kate will have a lot to say on this topic but ooh I don't know if I'm qualified to talk about grief because I haven't experienced the loss of anyone living close to me. I was like, I don't know if we should do that episode. I totally <laughs> showed it on myself. And then my second thought was, well, I can think of lots of other things to talk about. And that's going to be hard and vulnerable. And oh, man, here we go. Yep. <laughs> that was like my second thought. Yep.
0: Uh, okay. <clears throat> pets. Let's talk about pets. Um... Yeah. <sighs> I've lost a lot of pets. Um, so let's go back. I was raised very rurally. I don't even remember if that's come up on this
1: oddly. I don't think you have mentioned that.
0: Yeah, I I jokingly say that I I was uh, raised in Ning 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 Washington, and if you haven't seen that movie and don't get that reference, that's probably okay. It's a terrifying movie, but <laughs> like literal literal end of a gravel road. Like <laughs> no one had fewer than five acres, you know, living around me. Like. Rural, middle of fucking nowhere. Um, so what that meant is that our cats, bless their hearts, were rather impermanent. Um, but on the other hand, I never had to bury a cat because our cats were eaten by coyotes. That's how we lost cats. So we just we never spayed or neutered our cats because we were constantly needing new cats, barn cats essentially. They were indoor outdoor. I mean, they weren't only out. They weren't outdoor only cats. Um, but you just knew that it was unlikely that any cat was going to last a particularly long amount of time. If you hadn't seen it in a couple of weeks, you figured it wasn't ever coming back and you moved on. Um, so it took a, it took a while in my life before I was really emotionally connected to cats. I think just because that was, you know, my experience was that cats were a revolving door a bit, um, in my life. Um, more recently I've uh, gotten more attached to my cats, but That was thing. But dogs, we had a lot of dogs growing up, and I was very attached to all of the dogs that we had growing up. Um, We had Great Pyrenees, which are big-ass dogs. Um, So several of them were bigger than me (laughs) for the entire time that I knew them. (laughs) um, And so those losses were hard. But I would say that all of the childhood losses of pets – None of them were as difficult as the the losses I've had as an individual as an adult. Um, because those were mine, right? Mm-hmm. The other ones were sort of like family members, like I don't know, siblings. So that sounds weird to be less upset about siblings, but right but they like, they were my cat. Yeah. were My dogs.
1: Yep, I feel you on that. <laughs>
0: um, the first dog that I ever had that was mine was a uh, great dane named Athena, and we got her as a puppy, and she was the first puppy I'd ever had, and the first dog that was ever really mine, and we did puppy training classes, and she slept in the bed half the time with us, which, if you've ever seen a Great Dane, let's know that my husband and I did not have a lot of space on the bed. Silly beast. Um, her death was especially difficult because it was completely out of nowhere. Um, she was only three years old uh, and had shown no signs of any illness, any injury, any anything. We just went to bed one night, and she was fine. And when I got up the next morning, she was dead. Um... And so that was just mm. such a shock that it was really, really hard. Um, also, a weirdly practical bit, but i it certainly was a part of the grief for me. My husband at the time, who is now my ex-husband, but we're still friends. Um, my husband at the time couldn't handle touching her to move her body to take her to the vets to get cremated. So my mom and I had to do that. Again, these are big dogs, so it's like a hundred and... 40 pound uh dog i st- i was not gonna be able to move her by myself um and oh man i don't want to gross anybody out i'll try and be as descriptive as necessary and not overly descriptive mortis is a thing um that happens to dead bodies where they go completely stiff for a period of time i don't remember the exact hours it starts and ends again but during the number of hours that it fleshy body is in rigor mortis. I had understood from my scientific background that that meant you couldn't like move the joints or anything like that, right? They became stiff, like locked in place. What I did not understand was that literally everything becomes hard. Um, their skin, their muscles, they're hard like wood, hard like not doesn't feel like flesh anymore. Um, and so having to touch her having to feel her that way was really hard because she didn't feel like my dog. She felt like she had already been taxidermied like it was very weird um so it was really hard and i did not yeah i didn't get over that one for a bit uh in fact when we got our next dog i did not want to get another dog yet. <laughs> i was not ready emotionally um but supposedly we weren't getting a dog we was a lot my mom's groomers other clients friend was like oh my god we're getting get kicked out of our apartment for having our Great Dane can you watch it for a few weeks while we find another place to live and I was like Ugh, fine okay I know I have all the stuff for a Great day. it's whatever I can do it uh, three months later when we were finally able to get in touch with them they had divorced and moved to separate states and didn't want the dog anymore so turns out he was ours that's how we got Daphne. that's how we got Daphne. he was supposed to be a couple of weeks border. And he turned into our dog. Permanent. Um, and I, I came to love him very much, even though I wasn't quite ready when he first showed up to, to open up and connect with him yet. Uh, but we did. And uh, him and our cat, Steve, both of whom we lost about three years ago. Uh, and unfortunately, relatively close together, I think four or five months apart. I was very grateful because both times we had... Uh, I guess a veterinarian come out and do the euthanasia in, in our house. Yeah. Um, and that was a really moving experience. I would, I think that Davlin, so my great Dane, uh, Steve, terrible name, but my last cat.
1: (laughs) I love that you had a cat named Steve. I, when you introduce me. I loved it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's because of Eddie Izzard and the the his quote. He goes, "I was on the moon with Steve," um, which was also see now. Here I'll get your head about this. How I how I said goodbye to Steve as I posted a picture of him and I said, "See you on the moon, Steve." <laughs> so That's very sweet. Um, <laughs> but those and we actually had one dog when I was a kid who got hit by a car, um, and I was holding him on the way to the vet, and he died. And that was a very violent and horrible thing. Um, but I don't know. So him and the two animals we had euthanized at our house, house were the only beings I've ever been there for their actual death, like their moment of death. I guess you have more experience with that, Michelle, you were talking about always being in the room, but I don't know. It's a powerful experience. Um, and gratefully we had, I had my whole family, my whole family, my whole chosen family. I don't know. Although at the time, all of my partners and housemates (laughs) around, um, for Davlin and Steve, which was, cause it's, I think there's a real power in that collective experience, mm-hmm. um, which again is, I think something that we're not so great at as a culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so just having everyone gathered around and, you know, hands on, well, cats too small to have that many people, <laughs> <laughs> like just everyone there and feeling the same thing together and being connected mm-hmm. in that way, uh, I think was really special and and powerful and so i don't know it's definitely more expensive so i understand that it's a privilege to have been able to do this though honestly at the time we weren't rolling in money either so it was yay credit cards but um if you're able to do it i highly recommend having someone come out to do it it's a really nice experience to have it in your home
1: yeah Um, I'm gonna post a link about that in the Facebook group um I I've had a client who's done that as well with pets that's where I first heard about it It was her mentioning it to me yeah um and she's basically said the same thing as you and then
0: much nicer
1: yeah um and not to go too much back to my story but I you know I lost Tabitha just a couple months ago in the middle of COVID and I was like what is this going to look like you know am I going to have to drop her off at the vet and will I not be able to go in or will I have to be there by my myself. You know, um, mm-hmm. what it's it just out of this whole other layer. Dimension. Um, yeah. yeah. And I was very thankful that my vet clinic allowed me to be there and they said I could have one other person. So, of course, my husband was there with me, too. Um, but yeah, what you're speaking to about that collective mm-hmm. piece, I think, is very, very important, um, regardless of whether it's a person dying or a pet dying or whatever it is, it, it really helps to not be grieving alone. If, if you can't have someone there with you when that happens. And there's, I think
0: there's like a couple different layers to that. And I think you're going to go into this more in your skills bit. So I won't go Mm -hmm. too hard into that, but like, there's people there to support you in your grief, which is one very awesome. And I think important and helpful and healthy thing. And then there's people too, that you might be literally grieving with.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think those
0: are two separate elements I mean they can be together but right like there's a different thing I think there's also a real healthy thing to be able to be grieving with someone like if mm-hmm. that's possible some losses are so personal there will no will be no one to grieve with you <laughs> but yeah. if you can you know with losses of family or friends or pets or whatever if there are other people experiencing that loss it can
1: be a really um that's why we have funerals you yeah know? So exactly we can grieve To together. grieve together
0: yeah. um weird speaking of funerals I have not been to many Uh, I think I've been to two in the whole of my life. Um, One of them for someone I didn't know at all. It was very weird. When I was a teenager, I went with my then boyfriend who is now my (laughs) ex-husband. Anyway, a family friend of his had died and I went with him to the funeral. I didn't know anybody literally except for him and his mother. Um, And I bawled my eyes out. I'm so affected by other people's grief. (laughs) It's so hard. I can't even. Um, And then the other one was Charlie's brother. Actually. I don't know if you and I have ever talked about that, Michelle, but one of his younger brothers died very suddenly when we were together. Um, And being at that funeral, Oh, my sweet Jesus, that grief was tangible because um, he was like 20 something, wow. three, 24. Um, and they're still not sure. He like had a flu and then his brother who he was living with went to go wake him up and he was dead. Right. Like weird shit. Wow. Um, so anyway, funerals. But back to my personal stuff, um, I still just, just don't know what order. I don't think I talked to you about this yet, Michelle, but um, an, a very recent piece of grief for me. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how to, talk, how, how to introduce her. So uh, I've been a part of the kink community uh, to more or less of an extent since I was about 19. And the person who is in large part responsible for me being a part of that community was a woman named Elena Gabash. And she and a couple other people came and spoke to my, was it psychology of human sexuality class, I think at UW. And told me about this I guess club that was you know kink and sex positive and you know play space for that anyway it was, it was a real hub for the kink community in Seattle and I you know my little 19 year old butt joined immediately there <laughs> and, and this woman Alina was mom that's what everybody called her like she was she was mom um, to a huge part of the kink community. Uh, I was never especially close to her, but she knew me and I knew her when I first became a therapist. She reached out and had me give her my information so that she could list me as a resource for people in the kink community. Like we, we knew each other and she is, she introduced me to the first place I felt like I belonged Mm. like ever. The first place I'd felt community, the first place I hadn't felt out of place Um, And she passed away the day before Thanksgiving this year. She passed away a few days ago. Yeah. Um, It's so beautiful to see the outpouring of stuff around that. Because she touched, no exaggeration, thousands of lives, Mm -hmm. this woman, um, by being a champion for sex positivity and kink awareness and lack of prejudice. um, Part of the was technically a non-profit organization the club and it maintained a library full of books around sexuality and kink and things like that so people can learn and run ran workshops so that people could learn how to do stuff safely like it just was such a home for a lot of people and a place where a lot of people discovered themselves in a very real way Um, and so our community is going through a really big loss right now um with her It was very sweet. She put together before when she found out this was her second bout of cancer. When she found out that this one was not going to be beaten, um, she made a Facebook group called um, Elena's Final Corporeal Adventure, (laughs) which I thought was pretty awesome. And while she was still able to, she posted updates and pictures and things like that to it. And then when she was too ill to participate, um, her partners were adding to it. Mm -hmm. And it's in that group that so many people have posted their stories, their memories, their, their recognition of it. Um. And so that's it's I think that's a different another different kind of loss because just individual to individual I didn't know her that well like but she's had such a major impact on my life and she's such a big part of my community that sometimes community losses are their own I think kind of category mm-hmm. of of loss and so that's a big one right now. <laughs> Um, two that for me go together because they, the second one compounded the first, um, when I was 17 years old, I had an abortion, um, given what is true now in life, there's parts of me that have been tempted to regret that decision, but I still believe that it was the correct one for myself and for that child. I was really deep in mental health issues at that age, um, self-harming very consistently, like just really wasn't in a good place to try and do parenting. Um, But that was a huge decision and a huge loss for me because I had, since I was three known with absolute and utter certainty that being a mother was a part of my life path was something that was important to me was my plan was a very concrete goal that never shifted for me. Um, I just knew I was supposed to be a mom Um, and so made it especially hard. And again, I talked about this more, I think in the radical acceptance Mm -hmm. episode too. So if you need more of the story there, but my God, time passes strangely. How old am I? I think four years ago. (laughs) Um, I, I found out that I'm sterile. And so we'll never certainly will never naturally conceive a child. Um, and will no matter what, never have a child that is biologically mine. Um, I I would have to do in vitro with uh, donor eggs, Uh, which is, in case anybody hasn't looked into it, real fucking expensive. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you. Um, (laughs) I don't know about you, but I don't have almost a year's worth of income to chuck it. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Anyway, it's it's pretty.
0: Yeah. Um, And so that to me felt like having literally my worst fear come true. Um, I had always said that it was my worst fear that that pregnancy when I was 17 was my only chance um, to carry a child. And it turns out that was true. So it's an interesting world to be living in where my worst fear that I've ever had has mm-hmm. come true. Um, and so that's another kind of grief, because, again, I think that one for me is the biggest loss of a future. Yeah. Like more than any romantic relationship. Um is to face the, the, I don't want to say certainty, but the near certainty, the basically certainty uh, that I will never be a mom. Um, it's been pretty hard. Like I bought books for my kid, my someday kids, like, and have been for ages collecting, you know, children's books and other things that I thought were good. Um, so again, it was, I was just so solidly pointed in one direction. And it can be hard when someone suddenly throws a brick wall, not someone, life, <laughs> throws a <and> brick wall <laughs> on your path. It's like, nah. turns out you're not going that way. You, you have to adjust. <laughs> um, so that, and then the last thing I wanted to mention that occurred to me while Michelle was talking. Because I am, I, I guess I think that while you and I haven't had much of the classic version of grief, Michelle. I, I wanted to see if between us we couldn't elucidate how many different categories, like a lot, not, not There's everyone. So We're certainly not going to hit on everyone between grieve. the two of us <laughs> right? yeah. so many things to grieve. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I lost my virginity to sexual assault. And that is another kind of grief as well. Like this idea of something that I can't get back um, of a lost innocence of a loss of a view of the world, loss of a sense of safety, loss of a, right, there's a lot that can come with that as well. Um, not to say that sexual assaults that are not your first, you know, intercourse are not just as grief worthy. So not not trying to special or mm, single that out as, as, as an experience. I think sexual assault of any kind can come with grief of various and sundry types, but I just wanted to throw that one out there as, uh, as, as a type of grief when, when, when sexual assault, physical assault, like any of those things can cause a lot of different emotions. Uh, But I think especially there can be a, a sense of loss of self, a sense of loss of safety, a sense of loss of, you know, depending on what that means to you, like there can be a lot that's wrapped up in it. And so I just wanted to mention that one as well uh, because definitely the more I look back at the impact that's had on me over time and things like that is that there's a lot of grief that comes up for the child that I was, um, yeah. that went through that. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Now I'm done being all teary, teared up and tearied up. I
1: can't talk. You talk. I'll talk.
0: <laughs> I, can't, I can't talk anymore. You
1: talk. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can do that. So, um, we're going to switch gears to now talking about, I mean, I think keeping it somewhat centered on our own personal experiences, but also maybe just speaking generally about also maybe things that we recommend to clients or things that we know from people in our lives that have been helpful for them when it comes to processing grief. Um, And the way that Kate and I, basically plan every episode as we have a Google doc and we each just start typing in the Google doc what <laughs> our ideas are and um as is not uncommon we both had different skills that we thought would be helpful so we'll we'll keep it DBT focused and also there are things even though we've acknowledged that my superpower is fitting everything into a DBT skill. Um, (laughs) There may be things outside of DBT that, that might be helpful as well that we may touch on in terms of processing grief and what, what that means and how to do it and what that looks like. Um, And um, I don't know, (laughs) dialectically, I feel like, you know, all of this, can be helpful and yet maybe to some degree or another, like, I don't want to say none of this can be helpful, but this is, this is a starting place Um, because grief is constantly evolving and always changing. This is a starting place when it comes to looking at grief. What may be helpful for you one day may not be helpful for you five years later. And then you may need something else to help you with being with your grief. Um, So This is just a place to begin with what we're going to talk about. Um, So the first thing that I'll say, because it's the first skill that came to my mind, (laughs) which may come as no surprise, Kate and I both referenced our radical acceptance stories that we told in that episode. Oh, yeah. Um, Is radical acceptance when it comes to grief. Now, this, and we probably said this in the radical acceptance episode, but I will say it again. Radical acceptance is not a one-time thing. No, (laughs) (laughs) it it is ongoing. Um, so I, I guess maybe I'll give a little bit of a personal example here with how radical acceptance can evolve and change and be ongoing. Um, I have accepted the loss of the baby I was pregnant with, um, when I lost that baby in May. um, that took a little while. Um, my husband and I were not ready to start trying again for a couple months so that I could, I needed to sit with that grief. I needed to be in that grief. Um, but my grief has changed and just really in the last couple of weeks or so, I've realized that now what I'm working on radically accepting is that I'm not yet pregnant again. That's a different thing <laughs> and it's still all tied up in the grief. Um, but now I'm working on radically accepting something else, if that makes sense. Um, this is the other radical acceptance story that I didn't share in the episode, but sometimes share in groups with the romantic relationship that I referenced. First, there was the radical acceptance that the person I was with was struggling with alcoholism. Um, then there was the acceptance of. Oh, and he's not going to change. And then there was the acceptance of, <laughs> oh, so that means I need to end the relationship. <laughs> I mean, radical acceptance can and does come up time and time and time again when it comes to letting go and when it comes to loss and grief. Um, it changes and it can look different what you are working on accepting. Um But radical acceptance, I can almost guarantee, is going to be part of this equation with grief and loss. Um, And so, again, if you have not listened to our Radical Acceptance episode... Go listen to that. Um, I don't want to <laughs> do I was gonna the episode. I'll repeat. Just say in but... advanced,
0: we have episodes on everything we're going to
1: talk. about. Yes, everything <laughs> we're talking info, about. Go
0: find them. Yes, go find them. <laughs> um, and we're not Otherwise, naming. We'll be sitting here talking for three hours.
1: Exactly, and we're not going to name the episode numbers anymore because we realize that's different depending on. What, what you're going
0: through
1: exactly, whether you're going through Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, we or Stitcher, sure be right. That is, yeah. So just scroll through until you find the episode with this title. But um radical acceptance, uh it, it, it's it's a big one when it comes to grief because your life changes when a loss happens. It changes, and we can either try to fight those changes. Or we can accept those changes and figure out a new way. Um, so that's really the essence of that. Uh, the second thing that I'll say, which I was trying to figure out, and actually, Kate, <laughs> I have changed my mind with what DBT skill this fits under. Ooh, <laughs> all right, I'm excited. So I, I thought about this thing, and then I was like, "But how do I fit that into a DBT skill?" So I'll say what the thing is first, and then I'll say the skills that might go with it. Um, the biggest thing that has helped me since experiencing the miscarriage is finding community. The biggest thing. Um, And I will put this out there. um, If any of you have experienced a pregnancy loss and want to tell your story or want to talk to someone who's been there too, um, you can message me directly through the Facebook group um, or send Kate and I an email. Um, cause I'm happy to be here for you and I'm happy to hear your story if you want to tell it. Um, because I decided some people do not, and that's okay. Um, but I decided that I needed to tell the story. Um, I needed to let the people closest to me know that I was going through this. Um, you know, I was eight weeks pregnant. We had not formally announced it to anybody yet. Um I told some of my close friends including Kate. Kate knew very early on that I was pregnant. <laughs> um but you know we hadn't posted it on Facebook, you know, and anything like that. Um so I I could have just basically gone to the people who already knew and and told them that We had lost the baby, Um, but I chose the route of, I made a public Facebook post um, to tell people that not only had we been pregnant, but we had lost this baby. And I asked people in that post, I said, if you have also experienced pregnancy loss, and if you want to share your story with me, um... You know, please, please message me. Like I just, I had this thirst to hear stories. I had this need in me to know that I wasn't alone, even though as soon as it happened, you know, the doctor said that, yeah, one in, I think she even said one in three women experienced pregnancy loss, you know, that there's a staggering number. And at the same time, um, who did I know <laughs> who I could go to personally? And I probably had at least 20 of my Facebook friends come out of the woodwork saying, me too. I've been there. Um, And it was very, very, very healing for me. It was the number one thing that helped. Um, I have a Facebook friend who unfortunately lost his son to suicide a couple years ago. Um, And I know that something that has helped him is finding other parents who have lost children to suicide. Um, so I, (laughs) this is a big thing that I'm about to say, but I can almost guarantee that any kind of loss you are experiencing, you are not alone. Um, yes, every story is a little bit different because we're all different people. We all lead different lives. And yet, if you want to find people who have pretty similarly walked the path that you are now walking with grief, you may be experiencing, find those people Um, and they and they exist Um, even if you don't know them personally they they exist they're out there Um, and you can find lots of online communities about different kinds of grief and loss so um, that's been the biggest thing for me is finding community and then I thought well what dbt skill does this go with hmm, okay, I don't (laughs) really know. Um, And my initial thought, which is what I wrote down in our notes, is that maybe it goes a little bit with dear man because it's being able to ask for help, to ask for people to walk alongside you in your grief, to ask for what you may need. Um, And I think (laughs) this could be a struggle sometimes to ask for what we need when we are grieving or to ask or to tell our stories and to ask people to listen that this can, this can just be really hard. Um, This can be hard to tell an employer. I need more time off. Like I'm not ready to come back to work yet. Um, So dear man may be able to help you at least elements of it might be able to help you if you're struggling to speak up and to say what you need while you're grieving. Um, but the other thing that I actually thought of uh, right before this, that I'm like, ah, that'll make it better because we just talked about it in our holidays episode was how you spoke so nicely even though you didn't realize it to the comparison oh. <laughs> piece of accepts. And actually I think that that's funny. been the thing that's helped me. Um, in a way Mm -hmm. is that Mm -hmm. letter C within the acronym of accepts, um, you know, the first thing that I did was I spoke to one of my friends reached out to me right away. Um, Elise, who, you know, Kate, um, reached out to me right away and she said, um, uh, you could talk to my mom (laughs) basically immediately. She's like, talk to my mom um cuz her mom experienced three pregnancy losses and experienced two late term pregnancy losses and um and it wasn't that hearing her story i mean we talked on the phone for quite a while it wasn't that hearing her story made me feel like oh her story is quote unquote worse than mine so i shouldn't be feeling sad it it it, it, it didn't have that effect on me the effect that it had on me was like, holy shit, does this woman know what I'm going through? Because she's been there and then some. <laughs> like, she gets it. She knows. Um, So it wasn't even really like this conscious comparison in the way that we traditionally think about it. Of like, how does my story add up to her story? It wasn't that at all. It was just like, oh. She's been there. And the more stories that I heard, and again, every story was different. Every story was unique. That the more stories I heard and the more that I was able to see similarities and differences between myself and the stories I was hearing, just the more that I felt held, the more that I felt supported, the more I felt and believed that I was not alone. Um, And so I think I was kind of using some of that, too, (laughs) that that's that's a skill that might fit also. Um, And then the final thing that I'll say skills wise before I turn it back over to Kate um, is a pretty recent skill that we talked about, but, but ride the wave Um, because ride the wave or ride the tsunami or (laughs) (laughs) um, whatever it is. Uh, There's so much messaging out there about what grief is quote unquote supposed to look like. Um, I had a client pretty recently disclosed to me how, um, she didn't cry much when her dad died and how she had all these questions about what does that say about me that I didn't cry. And I'm like, who says you need to? Like, you know, who, who says that that's the response that you're supposed to have? Like that that's the quote unquote correct response. Who says, like, according to who, um, because when it comes to riding the waves, um, I think especially the waves of grief, there will be, you know, I had this recently, even with Tabitha, my cat, where, I maybe had gone a couple weeks, and I w- and I hadn't been missing her as much. Being on the couch with me, and I had this guilt, just wash over me, of like, oh, am I forgetting her? You know, I'm I'm supposed to still miss her. People talk about this a lot with grief, of like the guilt that comes when you're starting to heal, and how there could be all these questions of like, am I again? Am I supposed to be there, or am I still supposed to feel sad? You know, or whatever. Um, And it just changes so often. We can have these periods of really intense, overwhelming grief. And we can have these periods of time where the waters are relatively calm. And sometimes those periods of time are short. They come in like hours. Sometimes those periods of times are longer. and They come in years. Um, And so it's really being able to, when... You are thinking about this loss that you've had, whatever form it takes, that you're able to, as I said a little bit earlier, be really patient with yourself. Recognize that this wave will do what it does in its own time, in its own way. It will rise up. It will peak. It will fall. Um, And that another wave will come. And then that one will pass. And then another wave will come. And then that one will pass. And every one will be different. And it's (laughs) probably going to go like that for the rest of your life. (laughs) Um, But if you can keep that mentality in mind, that ride the wave mentality, um, that will hopefully maybe um, help as you are processing things. Um, and Kate, it looked like you froze on my screen a little bit. Oh. Can you still hear me?
0: Yes, I can hear you. You <laughs> okay. have had some points in time where you, for lack of a better word, caught up with yourself. Oh, yeah. So, Zoom I'm glad that that. This, oddly, I'm glad that this episode is turning into more monologuing than dialoguing because yes.
1: there's definitely been times where I was like, oh, man, I hope
0: I'm not supposed to say anything back because I have no idea what she's saying.
1: Yes. <laughs> I want to check in because I just finished my part. Of talking there, so I'm ready to turn it back over to you. But I, I want to make sure Fair. you knew I was turning it back over Fair. to you. <laughs> so your <laughs> so it's your turn now. Dick today. It's been awful, awful, awful. <sighs> um. All
0: right. Yeah. So I had a few. The funny thing is that I love that you ended up mentioning anything in accepts because that's one of the ones that
1: I. Have. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, you totally did mention accepts. <laughs>
0: Um, so I'll start with that one. I do think, I don't know, there's just a lot in accepts that I think is useful here. Um, because while radical acceptance, as Michelle pointed out, is super important, I think necessary, almost unavoidable if you're actually going to process through um, severe grief. Also, oh, we can't live there all the time. That's right. Uh, right. And so accepts <laughs> is my favorite part of distress tolerance for distraction, right? I think improve and accepts both have an element of becoming distracted. Um, But I like accepts better. Um, I like Michelle's idea of comparison and how that can work in this. Um, And like I was accidentally talking about in (laughs) in the holiday episode, I think the two C's actually go really well because, for instance, if you find community, like Michelle was talking about, if you're part of a group, While you're there, you not only get the opportunity to engage in that comparison kind of thing and have the benefits from that, but also just by being there, just by sharing your own story, you're also contributing, right? Like, just like those other people being there and sharing their stories is helping to support you, you being there and sharing your story is helping to support them, right? And so I think that that's a kind of cool tie-in. But also, I think Accepts is just a nice reminder to not... Live in it,
1: yeah.
0: Right, don't don't stay there all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Take breaks, <laughs> like let yourself be distracted, let your body handle a little bit of a different body chemistry for a bit, right? Before it goes back into those chemicals, right? So, I, I put accepts down because I think, well, first of all, I know it's not always possible, but when you're on one of those, I guess lags between the waves, if we're gonna continue using that analogy. Like guess give yourself a break when you can be distracted, do something else, change your mind, do something like that. And I think that's really helpful. Um, my favorite, well, this has both of my favorite, probably overarchingly favorite skills in DBT. So maybe that's not surprising. Either. I wonder if I people put- can
1: guess them by now. Right, There's these with what Kate likes, if you guys have noticed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well then I'll just go for my obvious and all time favorite, just <laughs> <to> mindfulness. Right. <laughs> Shocker. I know. Who could have guessed? Uh, But, but seriously, guys. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Right. For so many reasons. Um, I think Michelle was talking about this nicely about how often we can judge ourselves around our processes of grief. That we're taking too long to get over someone. That we're getting over something too quickly. (laughs) Right. Like there seems to be no quote unquote right way. Like we're prone mm-hmm. to judging ourselves no matter what, and so I think mindfulness for so many reasons, but one of the foremost reasons is helpful on that taking that non-judgmental stance, right? Of just observing yourself where and how you are in the moment, and just being with yourself,
1: right, without
0: judgment. And I think that can be also, I don't know, really helpful, really important, uh, especially if you do find yourself in some of those more self judgy kind of mindsets Uh, and maybe even self-judgy mindsets that are oppressed by other people being judgmental, right? Mindfulness can also help you observe their judgmentalness. And it's sort of like, Oh, I can see what that is and how that's impacting me. Uh, So mindfulness of so many things, right? It helps calm down our limbic system. It helps us get a little distance from things. It helpful, helpful, helpful. So always mindfulness. I always lean into that one, but also (laughs) self soothing, (laughs) Uh, With the five senses, because I don't know, for me, when I think about grief, and I think about trying to take care of someone who is grieving, uh, because I'm not always as good at knowing how to or thinking about taking care of myself. But if I think about trying to take care of somebody else, who's really grieving, I really think about tenderness, right, like gentleness, tenderness, right, Soft soothing, literally, right? This is the sort of thing that comes comes to my mind. And so I think giving that to yourself can be enormously beneficial, right? Cozy up in a blanket, take a hot bath, you know, drink some hot cocoa or tea or coffee, blah, coffee, oh, you yeah, know, whatever makes you <laughs> happy and feel comforted, right? So doing things, doing things to soothe yourself, sort of being the friend to yourself i think can be really important here especially if you're one of those people who maybe doesn't have an enormous um support structure around you at this moment like being able to do that for yourself becomes even more important if you're if you don't have someone to be doing it for you if there's not someone there to be like hey why don't you just curl up in the corner of the couch and tuck this blanket around you and i'll bring you some tea Maybe you need to make yourself some tea and then go curl up in a corner of the couch with a blanket, right? It's okay to be the one taking care of yourself in these, in these situations. Um, and so I think that self-soothing can really be helpful in that, in that sense, in that regard. There we go. Um, and then last, but actually maybe least. This might actually be least for me. Uh, of the things that about. <laughs>
1: it's the last one you put down. So it's the it last the one last you thought one of. <laughs>
0: um, is opposite action. And this, I think this is more getting into nitty gritty, like functioning life functioning because while As much as possible, I would always encourage people to make space for that grief, give it time, give it energy, give it attention, right? Be with it wherever it is for you. All of this is good. And, maybe, sometimes, we have to act in opposition to that sadness in order to life hmm.
1: Like we have to leave the house to go get groceries or so, I mean, I mean, technically yep. we don't anymore. There's things like Instacart and all this. But I know, um, <laughs> you know, there are there are things that we may have to go and do in life. You know, yep. you might have to go make those funeral arrangements, even though there's this part of you that just doesn't want to or go oh. to. Yep. Go to the doctor's appointments or go, you know, we can't right. just or stay maybe, at, all- You know, your work is I'm a so dick forever. and it's done with their your your grieve you know,
0: grievance grieve thing, leave, great grievance leave? bereavement. Mm-hmm. There you it. go. Grievement yep. leave. Um and you have to go back to work, right? Or you have to at least adult enough at home and by the way there's sirens in the background. I'm sorry, guys. Um <laughs> I can hear them. So you can too, I'm sure. uh, Right. But, you know, if you have to go to work, if you have to pay bills, if you have to feed the pets, if you have to right? whatever, you may have to spend an amount of time Mm -hmm. acting in opposition to your grief uh, just to be able to to do. So it's not my favorite. (laughs) I think this one is more taking care of your life than taking care of you, but it is taking care of future you Mm -hmm. because future you definitely gives a shit about all these other things in your life. Right? So that maybe that's a way that it can be thought of. That's still in line with that tenderness, with that softness, that gentleness, that caretaking is while this feels to in this moment, me (laughs) future me needs this, right? This is something that I need to give and or do for future me so opposite action has its place uh i think if your grief is severe enough that it's impacting your ability to function mm-hmm. opposite action may on occasion prove to be your friend apparently something big is happening because now there's more sirens yeah i, I really hope them. they go away before closing moment <laughs> let's hope yeah <laughs> wow you're really quiet all of a sudden on my end I don't know uh, what happened there?
1: strange huh the wonders of technology mm-hmm Mm, my favorite yeah um
0: so yeah i don't know that's those are sort of my things i guess i did not do a good job of applying those to myself but man i didn't like i did not reflect how i utilize those that's perhaps more what oh. i'm talking about <laughs> you did a good job of sort of moving yours several of yours to <laughs> to your own story and oh. i didn't really do that but <laughs> hey it works
1: i'm um, done anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> well the other the final thing to that i'll Oh, yeah, I okay, was just going to add it. on on actually one other thing about opposite action, right? Because um, oh, even though, I don't yeah, I bad mean, rap. <laughs> <laughs> right, we talked about uh, mostly distress tolerance skills. Um, and then, yeah, mindfulness, ride the wave, and then opposite action. Um, but with opposite action, too, I think it can be really helpful because in, in moments where grief can catch us off guard, Um, And we might be in a position where we, I don't know, like can't, (laughs) can't do anything maybe right then uh, uh, about it. Um, If we're at work and somebody says something and it just triggers this cascade of grief within us. I mean, maybe, maybe you can, and maybe it's appropriate to take the rest of the day off and that kind of a thing. Okay. You know, that's one route to take, but the other route that you can also consider is, okay, I, I need to stay at work. (laughs) Um, or how, how do I work through this moment? Um, and opposite action can really help us in terms of feeling at times, um, empowered within our grief I think so we don't just feel like every time we're thinking of the thing that we lost or every time a reminder sideswipes us that we're just down for the count you know okay yep (laughs) gotta wipe everything off my schedule for the next you know week because I've got to grieve like it's important to take care of ourselves and also opposite action can really help us in figuring out how to have our grief and keep going um which is a dialectic. Um, so I, I think that's where opposite actually could really be helpful. So, yeah. I okay. Like now I'll go into homework. Um, so um, basically our homework is really open-ended this week, I feel like, which is just to reflect on how grief has shown up in your life. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, one of the reactions that I had when we got this suggestion was, well, we can't do that. Because we haven't had a specific type of grief. You know, we haven't had, or a specific type of loss, um, I guess makes more sense, of losing a living person who was close to us. You know, I haven't had that. And then when Kate and I talked about it, Kate was like, I haven't had that. And I'm like, well, what do we do? Um, But we move forward anyways, because we have experienced grief in our own ways. And I can almost guarantee that every single one of you listening to this episode has experienced grief somehow in your life. Some way, somehow, you've had a loss of something that meant something to you. Or someone that meant something to you. Um, So what we suggest for this week is just to reflect on that for yourself. Um, I say this often. (laughs) It seems. Do journaling if you like to do journaling. Um, just <laughs> sit and meditate, or think about it, or just make an effort to be more aware of how how do losses show up in your life. Um, we also talked about this recently with our holiday episode. Um, you may be experiencing some losses currently around the holidays and feeling grief around that. Oh, so, I meant to say that that COVID comes with so much grief, and I was gonna oh say my, my part, and I right. forgot. So there's the tiny little plug. Absolutely. Yes. COVID totally comes with grief. I can't tell you how many clients I've had that are like, I miss going into the office. I miss my coworkers. <laughs> that is grief. Missing traditions, yep. right? With I'm so missing much. traditions. Yep. yep. Um, so right. Loss is present somewhere in, in your life to, to reflect on and what grief looks like for you when you experience it. Um, And that can show up in, again, more traditional ways that we think about, like crying. That can show up in maybe more untraditional ways that we don't think about, like just feeling, I don't know, kind of numb or (laughs) pushing it away or, you know, not thinking about it too much, saying we're fine. It can show up in that way. Um, So just think about how grief has shown up for, for you in your life and reflect on that a little bit. And if doing one of these things that we talked about today feels helpful for you, then by all means do that as well. Um, but mostly just taking some time to think about it for yourself personally.
0: Yeah. Okey-dokey. Awkward self-promotion time. Yeah,
1: do it. Feels even more awkward this
0: whole... <laughs> this episode's depressing. I know I said it already, but there yeah. we go. <laughs> Michelle and I have to get up and like do a happy dance after this or something. Oh my gosh, <laughs> can we please... <laughs> just put on some music do I one. would love to
1: do a happy dance <laughs>
0: um, let's see so uh, as I think we've said the last couple of times no new Patreon patrons this time but no less gratitude for all of the folks who are already supporting us through that. Big thanks to all of you. And if you want to become one of those venerated few, then please feel free to uh, go to patreon.com dbtandme. And that's where you can go to support us there. Check out our uh, our Etsy shop. There we go. Uh, just go to Etsy and search for dbt and me. Give us a rate and review on Apple podcasts. If that's where you listen to us and last but never least, go ahead and shoot us an email. Our email address is dbt and me at podcast at gmail.com. dbt and me podcast at gmail. Right? Oh man, yes. I just forgot it. Did I get that right in the end? Okay. dbt and, me, and podcast me podcast
1: at, at gmail.com. Gmail. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. I
0: got there eventually.
1: Yes, you did. <laughs>
0: um, okay,
1: I think that's. I think that's all of that. Yeah, time for I'm, closing moments. Yes, I'm excited for this closing moment. I think. I know.
0: I was trying to think. Uh, we'll see. This I'm one's going, going to, to evolve, you. folks. I have the barest note to myself, and we'll see what I do when I get there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but the the ever anticipated, always truth of the beginning of these is get comfortable. Whatever that means for you right now. You can go ahead and sit down, lay down, stand, walk, whatever feels good to your body in this moment. And if you feel safe and comfortable doing so, I invite you to go ahead and close your eyes. As per usual, we're going to begin by just tuning into our breathing. You don't have to breathe any more slowly or any more deeply than you do naturally. This is just about paying attention. This is just about focusing in on the rhythms and the sensations that go along with our breath and allowing those to welcome us into our bodies and into the present moment. And now I'd like for each of you to go ahead and picture yourself standing barefoot on a beach. What this beach looks like, where it is, none of this matters. Just a place where you can stand just inside where the waves are washing up. So that as you're imagining yourself standing on this beach, you can feel that rhythm of the wave washing over your feet, maybe around your ankles or even lower legs, depending on where you're standing. And then also feel as the wave rushes back out, leaving you temporarily in a space again of dry land. So take a moment to really picture this. As with most visualizations, the more senses you can add in, the better. Can you smell the salt on the air? Can you hear seagulls or other birds? Can you hear the sound of the waves, the crashing, or the susurration of it washing over the sand? Can you feel the sand beneath your feet, the temperature of the water as it rushes in around you? and the temperature when it's gone. What's the weather like? As much detail as you can build in here to make it as realistic as possible. And as you're standing and experiencing this beach, I want you to think about grief. Several times through this episode, Michelle and I have talked about grief as a wave that comes and goes just as these waves on the beach are coming and going. And just with the waves, also with grief, there's never a perfect rhythm to it. Sometimes the waves come closer together, or further apart. It's still a part of a natural rhythm. And however long it takes after one wave leaves for another to come again, we know and accept that it will come again. And we're ready for that. If you can, I invite you to take a similar mindset towards whatever your grief is. You may not know when or how strong, but another wave at some point is going to approach, is going to wash over you. And just like you are here on the beach, you can allow this to happen in its own natural timing and its natural rhythm. Being in a state of acceptance, whether you are in a place where the wave is washing over you or whether you're in a place between waves. Just a state of acceptance for whatever is in this moment and whatever may be in the next. Also, as with the waves on this beach, you may feel a sense of loss even between the waves. When we've grieved enough, sometimes those moments when we are grieving less can feel like a loss of its own, a loss of connection to that thing or person that we're grieving. And again, we stand in a place of acceptance of that as well. The inrush and the outflow, the being overwhelmed and the being left, all of it natural, all of it normal, all of it expected, and us simply standing and allowing, standing and experiencing that which is happening to and around us. If it's helpful, I invite you to go ahead and bring this image to mind when and if you next experience a wave of grief. Try and bring to mind and remember what it felt like to be there and to be allowing, to be accepting, to simply be with whatever the water on that beach was doing and have a similar stance of simply being with whatever's going on for you emotionally or mentally in the moment. Now go ahead and gently start to allow that image to fade. Take maybe a couple of slow, deep breaths. Help yourself come out of the imagined image, the beach, the waves, and come back into your body and into the room. You may do that by stretching or rolling or doing whatever you need to do to feel comfortable and welcome back. Whenever you feel ready, you can go ahead and open your eyes. Thanks so much, everyone.
1: Thanks, everybody. To learn more about us and the DBT skills we're teaching each week, join our Facebook group. Simply log in to your Facebook profile and search for DBT and Me Podcast.